Hey guys, this is Michael from the Signal Noise Podcast, and I'm here with Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey man, how's it going? I'm feeling like Oprah right now. <laughs> you get a prize. You get a prize. You get a prize. Everybody gets a prize. Well, maybe, maybe not everybody. Like maybe two or three, but it's all good. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Before we jump into this week's episode, we just want to let you guys know that we are very much looking forward to celebrating our fiftieth signal noise podcast episode we're going to be doing it live as a stream it's going to be on our facebook it's going to be on the pro sound web youtube and uh chris we got some cool giveaways and stuff right yeah thanks to our sponsor audix microphones uh they're donating a pair of a150 headphones um and we also have professional wireless systems have donated to uh either uhf or vhf you can choose depending on what gear you're using um inline rf filters uh so that's some some pretty cool uh some pretty cool prizes it is and also uh we are going to be giving away a digital download of mike green's uh newest album called restart mike green is of course the singer songwriter who wrote the theme song for our podcast and something i'm really looking forward to personally mike green's going to be closing out our live stream with a live performance heck yeah it's awesome so make sure you check the link in the description of this episode for more information on the 50th celebration and how you can enter the giveaway to win cool stuff and with that i think uh on to the episode you are listening to the signal to noise podcast on the pro sound web podcast network sponsored by audix i wish i Hey everybody, welcome back. My name is Chris Leonard. I want to thank you for joining today. Uh, today we have something special for you. We've been going live in our Facebook group, the Signal to Noise Podcast Facebook group. And uh, we've been building this community of listeners of the podcast. Uh, currently we have around a thousand people in there. We, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, we know there are much more of you out there, so we, we encourage you to join it. Uh, it's a great place for you guys to be able to interact with us, ask us questions. A lot of our guests that are on the show uh, are in the group. You have access to them and talk to them. You know, we want to we want to see and hear uh, uh, pictures and stories of the gigs you guys are doing, questions you guys have. You know, we want to we want to build a good, fun community where we're learning from each other. You know, we want to see your taco pictures. <laughs> we want to see your console pictures. We want to see all that good stuff. You know, we just want to we want to have a good uh, community for us to just just build each other up. Uh, make fun of each other, just you know, just have have good times, right? And so, and that's kind of how uh, we're doing with these live episodes. So we've, we've been streaming live in the Facebook group, um, you know, kind of like an episode, but just make it a little more impromptu. Uh, we invite guests on as maybe they pop into the Facebook stream, and we we, we have them come on with us, and and so you'll see some people come and go uh, through the episodes. Uh, if you want to watch these things uh, in video form, you can go to the Pro Sound Web YouTube channel, and you can watch it there as well, uh, or just listen here in audio form. You you know, it's uh, you know, it's 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 the great thing about podcasting. You can kind of do do either or. So, uh, we hope you guys enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get on to the episode. But how do we know when it's live? It's live. We're now live. it's live. Now it's live. What's what, up, everybody? What, when up? is now? Now is then. <laughs> and <laughs> Chris, we're in the future. Man, I was I was just talking about that movie. I need to watch it again. I haven't seen that movie in years. Oh man, the radar's jammed. Yeah, no. <laughs> good stuff. So yeah, guys. Yeah, we're just, uh, we're hanging in the uh, hanging in the group here tonight for a little bit. We actually just got done recording an episode with uh, with with Ryan, so that's that's cool. That'll be out. I don't know, in a week or two. Um, you know, when Michael gets around to to editing it. So 
We'll see. We're, we're getting very close to uh, episode 50, which is hard to believe. Uh, we got episode 50 should be out right at the end of the month, uh, which is awesome. That's uh, We have some some fun stuff to talk about uh, in the real near future, maybe some possible giveaways and stuff like that, you know, because that's what everybody's doing right now. You know, we, we're trying to be as cool as uh, Pooch and Chris are able to, you know, we, we're, we're trying. We might not be, but we're trying. <laughs> we can't pull that kind of weight, though, man. They're, they're you know. Pooch says, "Oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta go, uh, go pick up my SD7." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go put gas in my car." Okay. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, Ryan and Eric, you, uh, Eric, thanks for uh, for joining us. Um, yeah, we're just uh, for those who are watching, we're just hanging out tonight. You know, just uh, you know, if you guys got questions for us, questions for Ryan, for Michael, whatever, let's uh, let's talk and. Uh, yeah, we're here to hang. Eric, what have um what have you been doing during this time of uh uh of this uh craziness? Well, um it was a a uh when I went to California for spring break and then I never really came back. I mean, I did come back. It's just school didn't happen when I got back. So <laughs> I I I oh good, you're drinking wine. So I can drink my beer there. Um absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're drinking. We're drinking. Yep. And it's uh it's Brooklyn beer, so I think Michael, I think that's your it's it's a it doesn't matter. I'm not gonna do the ad. <laughs> um, uh, school didn't really happen, so I, I tried to teach six classes online out of nowhere, which in our business is kind of a kind of difficult. How do you teach a how do you teach um you know a console class over the internet? Uh, ask Ryan. He's actually doing a class. I'm at 45. <laughs> actually, this is right up his alley. <laughs> <laughs> to, to people that have never used yeah. a console before, so that was that was fun. So some of the classes worked out, but some were pretty pretty rough. Um, and then I've got a four year old. So uh, and my wife is also a college teacher. So she, my wife would be on having Zoom, and I'd be having Zoom, and my daughter would just like bounce between us. And it, 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 it's been, I mean, I love my daughter and it's, it, it's just, it's, it's fun, but it's crazy. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. And, and there has not been a, a moment of boredom. A lot of people have been binging on the internet and been binging on uh, Netflix and all that. I've had no time. It's just been crazy. So. Eric, you, you very kindly invited me to, to sit in on your, on your lecture on distortion a couple weeks ago. Uh -huh. um, thank you for that. Oh, there's yeah. Hannah. Oh, man, yeah. I feel like I should go put my rational acoustics shirt on. I'm really <laughs> left out here. Um, you had a really cool demonstration that you did where you talked about uh, intermodulation distortion and you showed uh, power chords and why they yeah. don't put, put the thirds in the power chords because of the, uh, the difference tones that you're generating, yep. uh, which is a really interesting way of showing that i've never thought about before and uh i think i think that's uh that was just a really i've been kind of it's been stuck in my head it was a cool demonstration that you did so it kind of stuck with me man thank, thank you I, I don't know where i i'd come across that nugget of knowledge it might have been the internet but obviously it was you know it totally makes sense i was doing some guitar overdubs last week i play guitar but not really and i was it was i found it interesting how different guitar um, voicings on different guitars with different distortion sounds, you can actually use the third and get, um, you can get beating that sounds kind of good, but uh, at least on that particular demo, putting the third in was just pretty horrible. And and I think that's why the root fifth has always been so consistent in that style of music. I think that's the excuse that the guitar players use and so I don't have to worry about the difference between major chords and minor chords. I think they don't want to, <laughs> I they don't want to look shots fired at the guitar player no i thought it was cool i was a little concerned for your mac though i thought it was gonna melt down during the uh during that the was, 
That was a rough one. Yeah, that, that was asking a lot of it at once. There were two Macs going at once. But thank you. So I was um, I was looking back at some pictures from AES, um, the uh, the system optimization panel, um, and it's weird because I looked at pictures and sitting behind me was a front of house engineer that I would work with on a one-off about three weeks after that, um, which is like the weirdest thing that he was there. And so it was just uh, kind of like one of those small world things. Uh, Ryan, question for you. Yeah. You have uh, the Tovlo, the moments video, uh, the Vivo video on your, on your website. Um, is that I a do. board? Is that a board mix or was that multi-track then a mix later? I think that was a board to master it. Cool. If I recall right, that one's pretty bright, right? I didn't watch it yet, but I was I was about to. I, I she's got a great one of not on drugs that was on a TV show, and it was just her and two guys okay. doing the uh, the SPDs, and that I love that one. That's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Was um, it you sent me? Yeah, yeah. I sent it to Hannah because I I was trying to. Uh, we were talking about vocal effects live and uh, how to how to do stuff that makes it sound big, but not like processed. You know, doesn't have yeah. that like digital over compressed sound to it, but it, and so, you know, it's got space and it breathes and it's, it sounds nice. And it's like, it's a 58, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, it, was, it was just a really nice example of yeah. uh, what you can do when you really put the time in and pay attention to that. Yeah. So Mike, Michael, what, what, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly helps. Good. Oh, I was going to say, it certainly helps that she's a fantastic vocalist. So there's that too. Well, I was going to I was going to mention that. I mean, I you can't really ignore stuff like mic technique when you're trying to do such elaborate processing. I mean, that stuff to me is is so so sensitive, you know, uh to yeah. to the handling and stuff. And that's uh you know, that that's a situation. I I had to have the conversation with with uh when I have instrumentalists who sing backgrounds uh and stuff like that. They they feel uh like if they feel like they're 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 too um, loud in their own mix mm-hmm. because they're singing backgrounds. They'll pull off the mic, and what they don't realize they is back off. Yeah, that that just fills the the sound out front with just a bunch of bleed. So, um, you know, that's that's one not of the things the, that really helps. One of the things that really helps on that gig though was that the stage volume was really low. It was a lot of electronic sounds, a lot of stuff like that, and yeah, there was two drum kits, but they weren't really nuts. So because of that, I could send her. To the tons of effects and not about those effects really screwing up the rest of the instruments because there wasn't so much bleed on it. Yeah. In my more recent gigs, trying to get away with the same kind of thing, I had a bunch of background vocalists on my, on my tour last year, and I ended up cheating a little bit, and I would put a gate on the effect send so that if, if a singer you know spoke quietly, it was fine. You know, it was, it was like they were speaking or whatever. But when they were singing through, if they stopped singing and maybe drums were bleeding into their mic, it wouldn't open that gate because the gate was keyed off of a range that the drums wouldn't really be in, like the 500 to 700 range. So I, I snuck my way around, still putting tons of effects on background vocals, even on a stage that had a bunch of bleed. That's pretty neat. Um, what, what are you doing So in terms of gating your toms what's your strategy for the sidechain filtering there because one thing that that does not work as well as people think for me is filtering in on that on the fundamental of the tom because that's where the ringing is going to be um <laughs> when it's not being played 
Um, so, so what's, right. what's been your approach with that? I have, I have a weird approach to that. So first of all, if I don't have the time, I will just get the gate dialed in, try and find a, a drum fill. And I'll do this in virtual soundtrack because it's easier than doing it during the show. Um, I will try and find a drum fill where they actually play all the toms and I will loop that on my virtual soundtrack and I'll listen to, let's say, Tom one only. And I'll listen for the frequencies that only cut when that one's being hit. And usually it's pretty obvious. You can, you can hear it quite clearly. So I turn on the key listen. So I'm listening to only the key and kind of tweak it till it only opens for that moment and then dial that one to that. And then do the same thing for Tom two, same thing for Tom three. I have a lot of time. That's right. where I get rid and I take my Tom channels and I put extreme EQs that just look like spikes and basically make them seem like triggers and put incredibly tight gates on it or even something like a transient designer. Use that to key the actual Tom channel, not EQ'd like crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does because I've done the same thing for drum replacement in the studio where I got somebody did a pair of overheads on their drum kit and they were like, well, we don't like the Tom sound. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not surprised that you don't like the Tom sound. <laughs> but, but what right. I ended up doing was copying that overhead out and going in with a super high cue and literally making triggers out of each Tom's fundamental and then running those into yeah. the, the replacement. And that it felt a little dirty, but, but it worked. So many times. The thing is you, you can do the same thing live. It's just, it's just an extreme thing and it takes time. And usually live, we don't have that kind of time. And the drum kit might be slightly different tuned every day, even if you're on a tour. Right. So that resonance is something you have to find again every day. And I, you know what? And I will confess that I don't often go for gates. Um, I, part of it is, is that I, I if in le- like, you know, I'll do a lot of one-off throwing goes or, or, or a couple shows. It takes a lot of time to chase that threshold where it's opening when it's supposed to, but um, it's not opening when it's not supposed to. And to me, um, that's a big time sink if you're not careful. And the other thing that I really don't like is when that gate opens up, you're letting in all that cymbal bleed and it's very unpleasant sounding to me. So I, I, gravitate toward expanders if i need the control uh of some dynamics there then it's it's pushing it down and it's not a violent unmute as much as kind of a fading up on um, it it doesn't sound like it damages the transient as much that's that's you know that's sort of been my go-to approach when i when i have to do something like that for toms yeah and annoyingly i like really loud toms i like when tom fills <laughs> happen they're just like this I love giant loud toms. Yeah, so I have to get it super dialed in. You know, I did steal something from a bunch of metal engineers. So metal engineers are really, really good with this. Uh, especially guys, they're, they're really on it. And they do really sneaky stuff. Like a tom in general only needs top end for the first, what, 50 milliseconds, maybe 100? Right. And then after that, it's just it's the body of it, right? So I know guys that will take um, a duplicate tom track invert the player and set their gate so that it opens only after a hundred milliseconds. Wow. Yeah. And then they'll, you know, high pass. It, so it's only taking out the top end, but it only happens after the hit happens. There is stuff. There is a fantastic new plugin, the, the Sonics drum gate that came mm-hmm. out. 
couple months ago, and I, I'm, I'm mixing a record right now, and I, first time I've used this gate. It, it's the first noise gate in my life that I like. I mean, I like the Drummer DS201. It's a nice gate. You know, it kind of reminds me of the old days. But this, and what's cool about the uh, this uh, Sonics gate is that you can actually do that. You can have it open up. Uh, you can control its release time for different frequencies. And it shows up mm. like oh, a little, that's awesome. Little, it shows up as a little spectrograph. I and saw that, that, man. That was wild. It, yeah, that's it, awesome. I, I'm not kidding you, man. You just turn the thing on, and it works. I don't know if it's avail available for live. I don't know what the latency would be like in 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 the real world, but in the studio, it was like, oh my god, I can actually use this. And then I went and edited mm -hmm. out all the toms anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say on records I manually edit the toms anyways because what is it maybe a hundred? Yeah, but it, but it was still it was I, I I don't usually edit out. I try not to gate kicks and stairs usually in, in a studio world, but it can be nice to tighten the drum up a little bit, like tighten the release time on it. Yeah. and that was a, a perfect. Anyway, just a plug for that that check that one out because you can do that frequency releasing thing. That's wild. That's I think good. I, I want to just take a run through the chat real quick. Kyle says he's picking up his mower. Uh, so that's where, <laughs> that's where he is. Uh, Chris Tenturis, uh says, I love all you people. We love you too, Chris. Um, and uh, it's, it's alarming that Chris still wants to hang out with me after working with me all day. But here he is. Um, and he just ordered himself a new computer. So as soon as that comes in, he'll have a webcam. And he's got a fancy new SM7B. And he'll be able to, to come and join us. Nice. Um, and uh, Eddie Kaipo says, hey, everybody. So, oh, hey, Eddie. Eddie, I you're the man, Eddie. dude. Eddie, you're the man. Eddie, Eddie loves Gates, too, apparently, he says. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, uh, if people are watching, please feel free. We're just we're just hanging out. There's no agenda, so feel free to ask us questions. Yeah. You know, If you guys have been listening, we, we appreciate uh, the listenership. We're getting pretty close to 50 episodes here um so you know we loved you know we want to make this just just as much for you guys as it is for us i mean i know michael kyle and i we would sit here and talk to all those people regardless whether y'all listen so the fact that y'all want to listen as well is kind of cool it's just added bonus so <laughs> <laughs> tell eddie i just sent him the link if he wants to jump in here and i, I texted it to him Sweet. oh that would be fun eddie come on man jump in here with us brother <laughs> uh no and and uh you know it's sort of it, it, one of the things that we talked about on the episode that we just recorded tonight with Ryan, which you folks will be able to hear uh, shortly in a couple of weeks, um, is about that conversation with the artist. Um, yeah, he said, he said, if you don't mind me joining briefly, of course not, Eddie. Get in here, man. Um, no, uh, uh, you know, he, he had a great thing that he told us about on, on Eddie's episode, which if you folks haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's fantastic. Um, you know, he was told over and over again, oh, this artist, they they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. And he said, well, I'm going to give him a chance. And I, we, we were talking about uh, Enrique, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he he actually knew exactly what he wanted. So I think I think part of that dialogue is, you know, like, like you were talking about, Ryan. I mean, these people have spent their entire careers – uh, and a lot of them have a very good idea of what they want exactly. And so right. you know, why don't we just start there before we, you know, second guess that. And so, it may just be that they don't know how to put it in words, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, Eric, at least not the words we understand as audio. Eric, that brings up a good question uh, for you would be, you know, from a schooling side, for those who don't know. So, you know, so you teach at a school. Um you know, we, we talked about in actually our episode that we just recorded tonight with Ryan before we got on here of the relationship 
um, that you have to have with an artist and the way you have to talk to them, the way you have to, you know, listen to, you know, look, they've, they've created this art. Right? We're, we're just the ones that have to sit there and, 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 and translate that and not impose our, impose our, our, ourselves onto them. Uh, is there an aspect of your teaching that goes to uh, teaching that relationship and empathy and and how to uh, speak professionally to an artist or to a client? So what, how does how does that work for you? Um, I think to some degree, yes, it, it is. It is. It is. Uh, there's only so much that can happen in four years, especially in the four years, which basically someone's going from age 17 to age 21. They're doing a lot of other things in their lives. So trying to be, make them a professional in that amount of time can be kind of difficult. Um, but later, I mean, our, our, our program's kind of unique. It is a four-year live sound program. Um, and certainly in the senior year, uh, what, what Hannah's about to go into, the, the, the last two semesters of the, of the, uh, in the major specific courses, spent a lot of time talking about clients. Um, we do an analysis the students are all producing shows. They're, 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 um, we use the term system. Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of production managers for the event. Um, and we, after each event uh, in, the, in, in class, we discuss the problems they encountered and, and how it was working with, with, with the artists or with the other people on the production, the problems they encountered. Um, they, uh, I also have them reading uh, Jim Yakubuski's book. Which is a I, I really like. He talks a lot about uh, professional sound reinforcement techniques. Great yeah, book. I really yeah, like yeah. that book. Um, so, uh, I'm I'm I we don't do enough of it. I guess is the answer that, that you're you're looking for. I, we obviously talk yeah. about clients. I think on, on the recording side of the program, they talk about as well dealing with artists in the studio. But you're dealing with young people that can barely make headphone mixes, can barely get the preamp set correctly. And um, trying to get them to that, I try to prepare them to shut their mouths, <laughs> to be in start, <laughs> yeah. to be in starting positions where they're going, they're going to learn that by watching the pros later on. You really can't get them ready to be an independent. Some of them will 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 dive right into being independent contractors and will have success, but in general, they they need to do a fair amount of growing after school. Is that? cage the answer without yeah no i mean look i mean there was i, I wasn't necessarily expecting well, i was just curious to see you know part of that approach i mean i know um you know just in general in this industry uh i mean you know let's face it we're, we're in a service industry just in a different format right so and you know customer service means different things everything from you know um relationships to talking to your stagehands to talking to your artists to all those things and that's that's a big thing that like you know not burning bridges um all you know all of those all those types of things so uh, speaking what, of that eddie what's up brother <laughs> how you guys doing how you doing man it's good to see you oh just jumping in man thanks for the invite yeah so uh well i mean this is the topic that that you're 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 an expert in this topic because you do you get a lot of facetime directly with the artists you're working with mixing monitors for for a, a lot of high profile acts and so you know i mean what are your thoughts on that you know when 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 some they're asking for something uh and they maybe don't know the 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 way to express it in a way that that makes sense to an audio engineer and, and, you know, helping them feel relaxed when you're, you when know, they that, wanted to be purple. Yeah. 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 So how do you, how do you, how do you work through that? Um, you know, it, I, I have met a lot of people who kind of dismiss it. They go, Oh man, this people just, just, I think you were mentioning that earlier while I was scrambling to get my headphones. <laughs> uh, and, uh, 
it's true. I think dismissing them is it's it's a problem. I think we need to change a little bit of that and try to like acknowledge whatever they tell us. We have to figure it out. I think our job is to figure out to interpret what they're saying. Um, and I know I made those examples before of like, oh, you know, I want to be blue, purple, yellow. And of course, that's an extreme, but they, there are instances that that happens, you know, but uh, I just have to interpret it. I just have to like, and start trying things. I'm like, oh, so how about this? Is, is this any better? Mm. And if that actually fixes something, then I go, okay, that's what he meant or she meant by this. Right. And I'll put that on my little notebook or mental notebook. And I go, okay, every time they say something like this, this is along the lines like uh, Enrique and I think this is a fairly common word. He says clarity for high end, which to me it makes total sense. But for other people, it didn't. Mm -hmm. Like he was like, "I'm always wanting clarity," and they don't understand. I was like, "That to me means you want a little brighter." And he does like his stuff a little brighter than most. But you know, but that also lets him. And that's something we discussed before. Lets him run his pack a little quieter than most. Also, yeah. So. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, just learning how to interpret that, you know. Uh, and I, w I would suggest, and, and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, that being able to have that conversation and to try things out and to have that relationship with the artist is more important than being able to decode the, the feedback on the first Having that line. trust, developing that trust. Like, a lot of times, them knowing that you're standing there, mm -hmm. just turn, they, they, might, they might freak out about something that is happening, and they turn around and they see you and they know that you're doing your thing, you're taking care of me. And then they just, they don't even worry about it. They move on. They know you're there. It's not a sub. It's not anybody they have to worry about. Because, you know, you could have a sub who's absolutely capable and, you know, because you, you have to go, you're having a baby, whatever the reason. And, and they're going to be worried about that just because it's not us personally. Mm -hmm. You know, you develop that trust. They know that everything's going to be fine. And even though you can give people notes and they're going to do everything exactly as you said it and you give them your file and all that stuff, which is a whole other subject too, but they, they just need to know that you're there and that makes them more comfortable. I believe, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, if any of you guys have run into this, I've seen this, it hasn't happened necessarily to me, but I've seen it happen to other uh, engineers that I know. Um, you know, you, you get put into a scenario, kind of like you said, a sub, but where maybe, um, so, say, modern engineer, front house engineer, specifically, I know this happened twice to two different modern engineers. Uh, you're coming in behind an engineer who has been there for uh, a, long, a, a yeah. long time, right? And um, and the reason, in both scenarios that I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, the engineer had to leave um, for whatever reason. doesn't matter whatever reason to leave. Uh, he wasn't fired, right? Like, the artist didn't actually want the person to have to leave. For whatever reason, they had other obligations, right? The next person that comes in almost always in both these scenarios was like i don't want to say set up set up to fail but like you're in a bad spot right like yeah, you're in the lion pit like like, <laughs> like, 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 yeah. like, like to, to no fault of your own you now are basically having to fill someone else's shoes someone you know that you, you the, the band is out of their comfort zone and twice i've seen that person fall not because of anything they ever did but because they need they almost needed a scapegoat to get to the next the next thing has uh, um have you guys seen had to deal with that relationship of coming out of uh, not because you were called on because hey i want to go to you but because you had to kind of maybe fill someone else's shoes and yeah. it wasn't expected like what, what what was that like if you had to do something like that well i mean 
in this, a lot of the parallels can be made to a one-off where the band is like, who the hell is this person? Right. And I I'm trusting my sound to them or I'm trusting my show to them tonight. I don't know anything about them. I, I try to during the advancing process, open a dialogue and, and make sure that when they show up at the venue, they they're aware that, you know, they're not talking to someone who doesn't care. Um, but you know, and this is a conversation that, that Hannah and I have had a lot where, you know, she walks into a venue and you have a band there and they take one look at you and they may decide that you don't know what the hell you're doing for, for any number of reasons. So, so Eddie, what are some sort of defense mechanisms uh, to start building that relationship? Even if it's like a one-off, I mean, how do you, how do you convince someone that, that you're on their side, so to speak? Yeah, that's like, it's a good question. It's, you kind of have to, uh, if you're allowed to even interact with that particular artist at that time, because you're the new guy or you're the guy for that day, um, uh, you just have to uh, go right at it. I think if you hide mm -hmm. and they see a little bit of that insecurity, you're toast. Like, <laughs> yeah, because I think it's more important that we all, we're always going to get a little bit nervous and like, it's my first day and like, you know, you know, you know what's going to happen, even though we've been doing this for a long time. And that's what keeps us on our toes and also keeps us learning and keeping up with everything. But uh, what's important, I think, is if they ask you for something, you know, they don't see you frantic. Oh, what, what is, or, or, when you, or when they come to talk to you, uh -huh. you don't freak out, you don't become a fan, or you don't become like just nervous because the boss is talking to you from the get go mm -hmm. on day one. You know, you kind of like, yeah, what do you need? Okay, cool. Let me know how this works. You know, or like, even if you're dying inside. You kind of have to show them that you're confident. <laughs> yeah, because I know it's funny, but it's true. I, I've done gigs where I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, I'm. This is. Uh, I'm like, "Am I gonna do this right? Am I gonna nail it? Am I?" Gonna, and I'm my perfectionist, so I'm always like, "It has to be perfect, or I'd rather not do it." Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm. But perfect for me is not perfect for everybody else. Right. So I, or even you know, you know. Anyway, so so people might just go. Uh, uh, you know, they come and talk to you. You just gotta be assertive, even if inside you're like like dying of nerves. That's what mm -hmm. I've learned throughout the years. You just gotta show them that you're in your game and you're there to take care of them, and they're in good hands. I had to do that even with a console that I never touched before. Right. They mm -hmm. never knew that. Mm -hmm. I and, and they, and they can't. Could. They can't know that. And, they can't know that. And there's another no. thing Ryan said to me like 10 years ago. I'm going to start a date calendar of stuff <laughs> that Ryan O'John said to me 10 years ago. Uh, but one of the things he said is the artist can't know you You had a problem. No. Right. When, when they get on stage, it's just got to be perfect. So although, even if you're constantly. Someone like Enrique, she likes to know. Like yeah. If, if he says. Yeah, you tell them after. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. But a lot of, a lot of times the artists ask you if something's going on, even if it's like. He takes a glance and they're fixing a pedal over there. He wants to know, and he'll go he to the talk and say, "What's going on?" Mm -hmm. And he wants an answer. And I'll tell him, "It's something with the guitar. Don't worry about it. We got you." Mm -hmm. and, I, and I try to be short and go. I don't go. Whoa, you know, we, no explanation. It's like boom, and then he'll move on. Yeah. If, if he hears in my voice that that there's something worse or there's something, something going on, something to be worried about. Oh yeah, then yeah. The, yeah. the band will start looping. And he won't go back until I give him an answer because he wants to know. <laughs> He's very involved in that way. But yeah. you know, there, like like my first show with with uh, with Christina, I was supposed to have a profile, and I'm being flown all, all the way to Morocco to do it. And I get there, and it's a SD7, which I'm not a digital guy, so I don't I don't use them. I'm not familiar with them. 
it doesn't mean that I can't mix on them. It just means that I'm going to be doing my first gig, you know, with a band that I don't know, with an artist that I don't know, and I'm going to be completely lost. So I'm like, okay, I can't do that. So I once I found out, I, I'm in my hotel room, and I'm downloading the offline software, and I'm like going through it and just making, okay, I can get this, I understand this. And, and then when I arrived the next morning, I told the local guy, I said, look, this is not a console that I use. But I kind of need this routed this way. This, if you can do this for me, program it for me, and then I'll take over. Okay, and then I might I might have a bunch of questions today, and I got only a few hours before they show up. You know, you know, Eddie. Yeah. Well, one of the things outside of you being a smashing engineer itself, oh, please. The other thing that you have <laughs> that I don't see a lot of people have though is your demeanor is just so calm about everything. When things are high stress, you're calm. When things go wrong, yeah. you're calm. But on top of that, there's there's a special way that you ask questions, right? When when you ask a question, there's a way to ask it that implies knowledge. And there's a way to ask it that kind of implies you have no idea what's going on, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to build trust quickly, when you ask questions of your artists, like, what do you think? Sorry, my dogs are going nuts down here. They're playing with each other. Can you hear it? Yeah. All good. All good. But, but when you ask questions... <laughs> but when you ask questions and you uh like imply that you understand what the needs are and what the desires are an artist is going to trust you a lot more than you go what do you want because when you ask something like that they they don't understand that you have any understanding of their needs first of all and how to achieve them mm -hmm. so like yeah. understanding how to ask the questions like really affects your ability to build trust. And that's something you have down. Like I wouldn't, I, I can't even explain how, oh, how well you have you. that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a work in progress, man. I always get you know, different artists react different to different things that I say. There's been times where I try to apply that psychology with another artist and it, it, it you know, there's a left turn, a major left turn there. So then, you know, you get thrown a curveball, you know? So, and that's what I was saying too, that I was thrown in the lion pit there he is, out in the lion pit with a console that I don't know, and all of a sudden I start getting asked all these things. I can almost certainly guarantee you that no one in the band, and which I was meeting for the first time as well, and, and, and the artist, which in this case was Christina, I don't think they ever knew that I was using that console probably for the first time. Mm -hmm. and, right. and they never knew because... At that point, I familiarized myself with what I needed to know, how my cues work, of course, EQing, compressing, all the stuff. I had all that dial ready, but it was more about, I not that I acted, mm -hmm. that I knew that board in and out because I, that would be lying, but I was, I never showed them that I was like, every now and then I'll have to, okay, where is that? Where, as you know, Ryan, I'm an avid guy, so for me, I can close my eyes and I know where everything is. Right. It's a big difference. I had to pretend to, that I was able to do that without lying, without just saying, oh yeah, I use this every day when it's not <laughs> right. true. But I had to show them that I knew what I was gonna do for that night. You know, I got you. They never knew that it was my first time. I mean, first and foremost, you're an engineer. Second, yeah. you're an avid guy. Maybe yeah. third, you're an avid guy. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I, 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 so it's those things that you were asking about, how do you build trust? You just gotta show them confidence without being cocky. Yeah? So. Eddie, let's so at the other end of the spectrum, something like uh, the residency, uh, Gwen 
yeah, yeah. the residency. Same show, same everything. You know what I mean? Night after night after night. I mean, how much communication do you have on an ongoing basis, both with 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 Gwen and with with Jim out at front of house? I mean, what you guys just do your thing? Or are you still talking? And and what's that dialogue like? Oh yeah, we we you know I I tend to always create like Ryan was saying. I kind of get I'm I'm able to establish a relationship with my artists. Mm-hmm. Which I think is absolutely necessary, and, mm-hmm. and especially as a monitor engineer, you know. Um, and I, you know, I have full access to go and, and talk to, of course, Gwen and, and 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 ask her whatever is needed, or check in on her and make sure she's okay, you know. And and with Jim, the same. Like even though it's the same routine when we do the residency, we always try to make it better or improve something, or or if something wasn't quite as we wanted it to be, you know, we'll talk about it. And say, what do you think? Is is it should mm-hmm. we change it to this or should we try this instead? Should we move this mic over here? You know, uh, we don't try to reinvent it, but we always try to improve something that if something came up, you know. So, and with Jim, I was just talking to him on Zoom about an hour ago. And, yeah, I mean, communication with among the engineers, absolutely key. And then with the artist, because he doesn't have the relationship with Gwen that I have. Right. You know, so... Uh, for you know physically you know he's far away and also he came i i, I had three years ahead of him you know yep. with, with her so uh you know you build that trust and, and everything and 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 you kind of relay it too you kind of if i'm talking to gwen and she was concerned about something from the house related i'm like don't worry you know you're in good hands we got a great team and you, you reinforce that as well it's not just me i'm cool i got you i don't know over there and I've been in camps that it's been like that. It's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, we were good here. I think that issue was related somewhere over there. And right. that's horrible. That's a horrible way of being and, and living and, and also being professionally. So I don't like to do that. I like to kind of keep everybody working together, backline and audio, the audio team and video and, you know, band members, dancers. Everybody needs to be taken care of. They're all part of the show. Yeah. Everybody's contributes in their way with their skill and you know and it goes around like that i think you know well it's so interactive too i mean if 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 things get loud on stage or if you have something ringing or taking off you got issues with with your monitor system you can cause a real headache for front of house and and if front of house gets too loud i mean they can they can screw stuff up for you so so that dynamic is something (laughs) i i did and, and and i usually um, I'm usually not on rigs big enough where that is as, as much of a factor, but I recently did a, a pretty loud metal show and that was, I was, you know, more than I was on the queue edge, I was on the comms with the front of house guy because we were, both of our systems were just right on the edge and they just wanted it super, super loud. And so that really took a lot of communication to make sure that, you know, we're not fighting each other in that well, way. Well, it, it affects Gwen. Ultimately, we did have issues uh, you know, it was unfortunate because they were like sometimes, you know, production or, you know, promoters, they want the volume louder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they will come to front of house and say it needs to be louder. And front of house, the other front of house engineers before Jim also, they were like, we're, we're at a good place. Like this is a good level. We're not breaking anybody's ears and we're not, you know, um, too quiet. Everything feels good and, and they're not louder. And they will go louder and all of a sudden, I start feeling it backstage, but mm-hmm. but not in a good way because I like feeling front of house. I use front of houses, front of house mixes 
to complement right. my ears, you know? Yeah. So uh, without it, it, it almost, I need to cure differently on the low end. But so not having that or having too much of it, it was a problem. And, and sadly, it was reflecting on them, which it wasn't their fault. They were just following orders in a way, you know? You know so, and, go ahead. No, so that brings up a good point of saying how much you rely on the PA. Um, to kind of fill things in have you noticed a change over the years uh with the introduction of cardioid subs and different pas that do like this maximum rejection behind the pa and stuff how yeah. much has that affected you as a monitor engineer with some of these systems now coming out where you know uh from the artist's experience it's, it's actually probably absolutely changing i mean it's helping out front of house but at the same time how much is that maybe affecting the artist some in good ways i'm yeah. sure but yeah how's yeah. it, it affecting you sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't because some, you know, I like to feel it not only for my sake being there, but I know the musicians do too. There's been times where we're rehearsing and then the subs, you know, Brad is like, okay, you guys are playing all these songs running through the set two, three times. I had it already by the third song. I'm just going to lower the volume of the PA or mm -hmm. turn it off. And he stays with his near fields, dialing things up. And I, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, something's going on. And then I can hear band, band members start going to talk like, uh, can I get more bass? Mm. Can I get more kick? All of a sudden, like, and these are mixes that have been there for years now at this point. That is like, come yeah. on, something happened. Of course, I'm like, Brad, and I on the talk back. It's like, Brad, come on. Turn the PA back on. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny. That's a scenario. Out. That's a scenario I've been in a million times too. You know, after yeah. a couple hours of rehearsal, I don't need the rig on. I've got yeah. my near fields, Sometimes and I also want to turn the subs on only. Sometimes I tell them turn the subs on only. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then of course, Mondra says, you know, I need this back on. But you know, the the comment Chris just made it reminds me of the first time I did a show on GSL, and we were touring. Speaking of which, my buddy Chris Leonard, yeah, and not not myself, but you can't see. Oh, is that is that other Chris? Oh, that's other Chris Leonard says, yeah, his band loves DMB, yeah, GSL. So, so, yeah. so the first time I ever did a gig on on GSO, um, between one of the songs, my artist goes over to the monitor guy and goes, "Does does he have the PA on? He needs to turn this up because she had never had so little back pressure. She yeah. was so used to it and she's yep. so used to relying on it. So PM comes out to front of house. He goes, you know, this sounds." pretty pretty good like what, what are you at and i was like i'm at 100a on the dot and he goes can, can you give her a little more because i think she needs some i was like are you sure and he's like yeah <laughs> kicked it up enough he's like okay this just really hits and he went back and um they were like no nah, i still don't feel it <laughs> <laughs> so actually actually after that we ended up putting side fills in with uh just basically low mid and lows to make sure that they'd get some uh yeah. on stage it was crazy it was crazy yeah, it, it, it works it, like with Gwen, for instance, we, we only have side fills, and they used to be like a wall. And I'm like, the first thing I did was remove them because she doesn't use them. They're just for the right. dancers. So right. I, I just made them smaller, more compact, plenty loud for them, and it doesn't interfere with her sound either, you know? Uh, but I think it's important to have that balance, though, because if, you know, too much, it's just overwhelming, and then you're fighting, everybody starts turning the pack up, or then... Now everything starts, they're getting fatigued. Now everything just doesn't sound right. There's just a balance. And as long as you have the communication with front of house and you just talk it out and everything's cool, at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the artist. You, you know, mm -hmm. I can't put my taste in front of the artist and front of house shooting either, you know? Right. Absolutely. And Eddie, that was one of the, I know you got to go cook dinner, but, you know, before yeah. you go, one of the one of the best 
tips that you ever gave me from the article you wrote about using the high pass, using the low shelf cut on, on the inners mixes yeah. and, and letting that low frequency stuff that's on the stage, letting that work for you. And boy, that really cleans up the ears, especially if you don't have really, really high end in-ears that, you know, don't have eight different drivers in them, you know, to, to try to get 40 Hertz out of an in-ear uh, single way in-ear can, can, can cause some other problems. So as soon as I started doing that, letting that sub energy work, and and kind of just rolling that out of my mixes, um, you know, my artists were a lot happier after that. So yeah, that it makes a big difference. It makes a yeah. big difference, and you get more headroom to turn up the other stuff. You know, yeah, yep. you're getting that other energy, all that low energy, exactly. Else, you know? Yep. Yeah, so it was a, it was a great tip, man. Thank you. Oh, you got it. Anytime, anytime. Thank, thank, thanks for uh, hanging with us, Eddie. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I want to go make some Thai food for the family now. Always good to see you, bud. <laughs> Bye, Eddie. All right, so let's let's put Hannah and Eric on the spot now. I think. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Hannah, you actually today is a good time that you just you just got your uh, your grades finishing the semester. So, you know, if you're looking back on the audio education that you've undergone thus far, I mean, what what was the big game changer moment for you? Well, I'm sure there was at least one thing where you totally were like, "Wow, that's just rocked my world." Because I have a, a bunch of little. Moments I'm, like those. <laughs> can you share one and and then maybe eric maybe from your perspective you know those light bulb moments for your students what are some of what are some of those ones were the, the common ones okay so eric's um, got time to think now <laughs> uh, taught this class um last fall i took a speaker systems class um and he did a demo about um point source arrays and um, that was a really, really big moment for me, seeing how um, to build one and actually doing it in class. That was like a, oh, my God, this is amazing moment. Um, and I told is, them that before. Is that when you went like, OK, I'm going to be a system tech? Was that was that where that is? Um, you've kind of shifted, like yeah. even even in the time that, that we've been friends, you went from like, yeah, I mix. I'm kind of interested in the system tech thing. And now you're like, no, I'm a system tech. Like, yeah, like um, you really found your identity in that. Throughout last fall, I kind of made that transition. Um, I knew that I liked the topic beforehand, probably starting in the spring, I'd say. Um, but that class really like changed my entire course. I'm like, this is what I want to do now. Well, I got to tell you, Eric, I don't, I don't know what you've, you've done, but I mean, it's, not often that I'll get a text at 1130 at night saying, okay, um, we have to talk about DFTs tomorrow because I'm really trying to understand data windows. I'm like, no one has ever, that doesn't happen. <laughs> well, like, you, as I've said before, you really can't judge your typical 20-year-old audio student by Hannah. No. no. <laughs> and and uh, in, I've taught that class, I think, seven or eight years now. Um, and I've had a few people that 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 definitely want to system engineer that re, that really get into it, but Hannah by far has is has invested her time in that, so she she's exceptional in that regard. Um, and and that's the aha moment. And and I I, I don't Hannah. I, I mean, I obviously remember that that moment, but I don't remember it for you. Um, I I mean, there and, were all of us. I, I mean, how could you? <laughs> Like then, you know, my, my program's small enough that I do remember aha moments for particular people. I remember we were mixing the Cashman show uh, down at wherever we were, Sanford, somewhere a couple years ago, and you were sitting next to me in front of the house. And that was kind of an aha moment for you. I, yes, I, it was. Um, that whole day was 
definitely an aha moment. There, there are you for young people the the aha moments come in different places. Uh, sometimes there's a, a younger one when I'm tr I have to compete to get students because they all want to go make records and make beats and and so I I kind of have to very clearly target students that I think would want to go into live audio. Um, and then the early on, I will throw a young person on a console in, in a, in a performance environment, even though they have no idea what they're doing. I'm like, mix this show. And it's at school and it doesn't really matter. You know, there'll be a band on stage and there's 12 people in the audience. It doesn't really matter. But that moment, and, and you can give that to, cause I remember doing that, you know, I fell, fell into live audio when I was, 14, 15. And I remember there was nothing cooler than the first time I got to put a kick drum in the mains at, at you know, age 15. Uh, and to give that to a student, though that's an aha moment. And I can definitely think of many times students have that. Later in their schooling, though, as they start to mature, um, you want to, you hopefully want to see other aha moments like the system engineering moment or the first time is they get more sophisticated in their mixing or they get more sophisticated. Some, some students, a lot of my students want to get into production management mm -hmm. and uh, that when they, Interesting. when they, well, it's actually not, you know, all forms of production management from promoting to um, right, just, right. You know, that they don't, they don't, they re some, a lot of students realize they don't actually want to mix or they don't want to be, do the competitive thing of, of trying to be a successful mixer. They, they see other students in their, in their cohort, being better mixers and they start looking for other things that they to do and production management's one of them. And uh, some students are really proud and have an aha moment when they run their first show. Uh, mm -hmm. When they advance it, the artist comes in, everything goes well. They tech, uh, our, our, our event leads actually tech, tech the PA as well. They're in charge of, they're kind of like the system engineer and production management together. And uh, they're very proud after that. I've had many students uh, reference that after the fact. Um, I think I had that moment. Um, I work at a small 200 cap venue um, in the same town that my school's in. I kind of had that moment the first time that I advanced my own show and had it happen successfully and have the artist come up to me and be like, that went great, you know, take my card type of thing. Like, um, I think that was another really big moment for me was having that first really successful show all the way through. And sometimes it's really small. I mean, Teaching, you all have probably taught one time or another in one form or another. You live for the moment of the aha moment. It's a very gratifying moment for the teacher to see that happen. And sometimes it's very small. Like one of my favorite classes to teach is a sophomore level uh, console class. I try to, we try to front load the console stuff so that they can get the basics and signal flow down early on the program. So then they can grow on and do other things. And in this class, it's kind of divided in half. It's very hands-on. The first half, we learn a basic console. Uh, currently, it's the Midas M32. And then the second half of the semester, they learn this, uh, a Yamaha CL3. And uh, it's basically the same exact material for a whole semester, but two different desks. Mm. And to see them really struggle in their first practical exam, like trying to figure out basic concepts between pre and post fader or AFL, PFL, when do I cue at the input, when do I cue at the output, those kind of basic things. And then to see them actually get it later in the semester, that is, that's very gratifying because you see the whole arc of, the, of their learning. Um, those small aha moments, maybe they're not as big as sitting at a desk in front of an audience, but 
they're, they're really satisfying for me. And I think they're satisfying for them because they see growth and then they're encouraged to, to tackle the harder things. And I think, you know, uh, I was talking to Ethan Weiner the other day about, you know, when he has folks over to his house to record, you know, um, and he says, um, he's like, I just get so nervous that something's going to break and, you know, they're paying me and, and I just, I can't stand all the pressure. He's like, I don't know how you do live shows. I just wouldn't be able to handle it. And I think, I think fundamentally you either feed off that or you're so scared of it that you won't go anywhere near it. And, and there's such a big divide, yeah. there, you know, and, and I, I think back to when I'm doing, uh, you know, musical theater stuff where it's just line by line for two, just the, the amount of concentration is unrivaled and you're just, you know, sweating for two hours and it's super stressful. And then you get home and you're like, man, that was so fun. I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. And it's just like, that's not normal. <laughs> you know. So I think it takes a special that, that in and of itself, I think is a moment for people when they go like, wow, I love this. And, you know, I'm not content to do it in the studio. The studio is not as exciting. I think that that's a different breed. You know, it's a different, uh, it's a different kind of uh, rush, so to speak. I have a lot of conversations with, because um, we have like a studio program and a live program. I have a lot of conversations with my friends who are in the studio program, and there's something they just don't get about like the stressful situation and exactly what you're just saying. They just they don't understand the rush that comes from that. Yep. No, that's exactly uh, exactly what it is, and it's sort of you you sort of almost become so comfortable with it after a while that I've sort of, it's sort of, I have this idea that I call the halls effect. And that's when someone opens a halls uh, cough drop during a movie and it, <laughs> it pulls you right out of the movie and you, you start to go, I'm sitting in a theater watching a movie, right? You become very self-aware in that moment. Um, and I did that to myself during a show back, back in the old days of yore when we had shows um, I was mixing and you know, I'm just doing my thing and, and it's a venue I've worked in a bazillion times and for some reason something in the audience caught my eye and I kind of like zoomed out to behind my own head and I was like wow all of these people are like totally focused on this right now and I could totally screw this up like I, I went back to my very first moment ever at a soundboard and I kind of had that moment of fear all over again like 15 years later which was really silly but you know I think I think it really uh you can mix multi-tracks all you want in your bedroom, but the first time you get in front of a console in a show and there's people in the room listening, I mean, that is a unique brand of fear that I think, uh, you know, you, there's no way to prepare for that. And, and to be honest, it's, it's almost like a drug though. You absolutely. Know? 100%. You, yeah. Especially when you go from, you know, doing 300 seats and people get really excited to suddenly realizing that there are more people behind you than there are in front of you. Yeah. Yep. And you're in the middle of an ocean of 50,000 seats and some moment happens on stage and all the hair in your arm stands up and you feel this emotion. And it's something that can't really be replicated in any other way. I mean, there were, there were a couple of years where I tried to do just mixing records and I realized how uh, antisocial that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, was sitting in, I was sitting in a studio in the dark with no windows for you know many hours. I'd send off a mix that I thought was perfect. It would come back with some comments. And even when it was perfect, it went out and I never got to see the response of people listening to it. Yep. Maybe I listen to it. Maybe there'd be some review online, but it's a different thing when you have this one fader and you go like that and you suddenly see everyone go, ah! you know, <laughs> it's a really different experience. It's a different kind of emotional rush and you really do start getting addicted to it. And then, you know, if it goes away, like it does now, you uh, have a hard time trying to find that same, that same kind of excitement. 
So I mean, that, that, that's an example of it on, on the big, awesome, successful, your, your awesome mixer God side for, for uh, what happens for me is I, I, you know, I'm in a room, we have a nice venue, you know, it seats 400. It's, it's very nice, but then you'll get 25 people in the audience. You know, they're all community members. You got some rock band on stage. Maybe it's a student band. Maybe it's not that good, but you can have just a powerful moment. You, this kid, you know, fat cheeks, you know, he looks like he's 15 years old and he's sitting at a, sometimes we have high school kids come in and my job is actually to like give them a taste of this, to show them how cool it can be. Cause you guys know we're not here. We're here right now. Cause we love this. Yep. And that moment of, oh, oh my God, I can do this. I love this. And then that that's almost more powerful than whether or not they learn their microphones or they learn what a cardioid subway is or what blah, 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 all this technical stuff. It's, to feel the love because once you have the love, you're willing to do all the hard work it takes to get. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, there was, there was a funny moment where I think I realized that uh, once you get past all the technical stuff, how to run a console, how to EQ things, you kind of suddenly realize that your job is emotional delivery. Mm. And that in itself is a strange concept. The concept that there's emotion coming off the stage and there's emotion inherent in that song and your job is to make everybody else feel it. And that works from two people in the audience to 200,000 people in the audience. And it's the same thing when you suddenly get to see somebody's face, that they understand the emotion and, and the idea behind it. It's it's kind of a beautiful thing. And that, that, for me, was a realizing moment. And I swear, it took me 10, 15 years before I realized that that was my job, rather than you know making something sound cool. Yeah, well, Michael, was it, um, was it Chris Mitchell who wrote the article about... Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Mitchell has this great article on Person Web um, about, and I forget, you probably know like the title or exactly, but like that exact thing of like reading the audience, right? Like part of our jobs is to um, to read the audience and and feel that emotion. And like and if if you're not part of that mechanism that's invoking emotion, if you're not able to feel that, you're probably missing the bar in terms of yeah. getting that show across. Um, and so it's you know. Damn it! <laughs> um, so, uh, I don't want to make the joke I was about to make because nowadays, if anyone coughs, you assume the worst. <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, you know, it's it's funny. Like I, um, you know, as as being audio engineers, you end up mixing uh, tours, festivals, one-offs that you maybe don't necessarily appreciate, or um, or you wouldn't necessarily listen to the music on a given on a given basis right? or a daily basis, right? But I, I found that like you have to learn to appreciate the art of whatever it is you're mixing, regardless of whether you listen mm-hmm. on a daily basis or not, right? So, Definitely. you know, um, and you know, I, a lot of the stuff I ended up mixing in my past um, wasn't maybe something I would daily listen to, but I learned to appreciate the art that was getting put into it, and in that moment. You know, um, you 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 have to really put yourself in that place. You know, and like for instance, and this is not a name drop there, but like so, like like Josh Groban, right? Like it's, you know, it's not music that I would listen to in my car, right? You know, very orchestral, very you know, big singer songwriter, um, uh, a popera is what they called it when we we're out there, right? <laughs> um, yes, you know, that's right? amazing. <laughs> or, or, or they called him the male Celine Dion, is what they called him, right? And that's that's so, a good term. I like it. 
yeah and and it's like look you know so but like when you are in that moment in that show like you got to get into a zone get into that space or if you're doing r&b or if you're doing funk or if you're doing hip-hop whatever genres you're doing regardless we listen to a daily basis you kind of have to become one with that show and i found yeah. that like if there's been shows where i've like started to check out like and you it almost correlates with you start getting that feedback of like hey people are not as happy or the vocals aren't there because you're kind of checking out so like i think it's part of our jobs is to get into that seat and and you need to be able to be resonating with the people that are around you and see their movement and i, I find this especially true like in the house of worship world too like like you know there's obviously a very big um emotional experience happening there um and i make it a part of my job when i am mixing house of worship to like pay attention to the audience and, and if like a majority of them are not engaged i start to think if maybe that part of that is me and maybe it's not but i mean that's no no no, no that's that's totally right man that's the right perspective to have I, i've had that same notion you know and and sometimes that translates to me having to speak to the artist after the show and say maybe we need to change something in the set list because at this point this is where everyone goes to the bar and, and stops paying attention this is where everyone pulls out their phone Mind you, I have the advantage position of being in the middle of the crowd, and I can see all this very clearly. But that's exactly the right perspective. If there's a spot in the show or any event where suddenly it seems that people aren't paying attention, you do have the ability, as the person controlling what they're hearing, to find something exciting in what's going on and give them something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the arrangement as a whole needs to change, or maybe the set list as a whole needs to change. But it is it is the right question to be asked. Do I need to change something with what I'm doing in order to get people engaged again? The beginning of Shannon Slayton's book, we've had Shannon on, on the podcast, and he's a, a very, very accomplished Broadway sound designer and mixer. And he starts off his book by talking about uh, the example of mixing a song, I think, from Les Mis where he says, you know, I can give you examples of mixes that I've done that were technically perfect, but they just didn't. You know, I knew that I should have pushed the reverb one more dB or something like that. It didn't have that audience impact that he was looking for. Um, and I think about that a lot, which is beyond all the technical stuff. You know, that's that's really our tool set with which we have to make an emotional impact. And I I, I was thinking about the time years ago. I, I mixed a, a production of of actually it was lame is and um, the bit at the end, the very very end of the show when they all come out and they all sing you know, can you hear the people sing? And it's like the curtain call and you see all of these people who have died over the course of the, of the two and a half hour show. And you realize how much life was lost during this story that's being told. And I said, I'm going to do something that's technically really stupid at this moment. And it was a small enough house, 700 seats, small enough. You could do this. I muted the PA at that point. And so this whole acoustic reality that you've become accustomed to for two and a half hours is gone like that. And everyone just wham, they lean forward in their seats because now they're hearing for the first time unamplified chorus coming off the stage. And it's a complete paradigm shift. And it just knocks people for a loop. And so it ended up being a very, very powerful moment. Uh, and you don't get there by asking yourself what's the most technically appropriate choice right now. Um, Definitely. And that was one of my, it, it was stupid, you know, but it was one of my favorite things that I've gotten to do from a sound design perspective is, is completely remove myself from the equation and turn the PA off. And it, and it worked really well. And so um, to me, that's, uh, you know, you guys know more than anything. I love the technical stuff, but, but always, you have to keep the, the, the end goal in sight, which is what's the artistic goal here. You know, what, what I, I love, I love that idea. man. I think that's awesome. It, it reminds me of like, um, you know, Mark Carolyn, he mixes Muse. He keeps his finger on the master fader often, 
and he'll take his master fader and write it down for verses and then just blast people with, you know, <laughs> impact on courses, right? And if you think about it from a technical perspective, that doesn't feel very correct, right? Yeah, it's kind of a blood. And, and, yeah. yeah. And the board recording probably seems crazy, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah. the emotional delivery in in the, the moment at the time is amazing, you know? Yep. And just out of curiosity, do you know um, if that's an, uh, a conversation that, that the uh, muses had with him on what they want, or is that something he chose to bring to the table and they liked it? Do you know how that went? I don't know the answer to that, but you know, I'll have to ask him. I mean, he's been with muse for forever, basically since they were right. a baby band. So yeah. I imagine that it was something that just kind of developed together and they're all about impact. And, you know, even the visuals of their show, there's right, so right. much stuff visually happening. I don't think they're going, you know, I need my board recording to be perfect. Right. I think they're going, I need this to feel like this hits, and I think I need right. it to feel right. And if that's the way to do it, then that's the way to do it. Right? It's something you can do with live. And there's Definitely. such a tendency with the, with the plug-in world and all that, and that, uh, you know, all the studio engineers becoming live engineers and all the things that have happened in the last 10 years in our industry. Um, it, to, to, to squash the front of house mix, to, to make it sound like the record, to make it sound flat and dynamically lacking and we we you can do that with live you can you can and uh, i think dave rat had an article uh years ago about ma- designing the 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 sculpt sculpting your set list with, with level um it's a fantastic idea i remember i used to do that with with the band i toured with and and you know you gotta have you gotta have the quiet song before the big song and you gotta have the end song and all that um but we can do that with live you know we can we can have that impact um if it's if it's triple forte all the time Right, right. I mean, that that's almost homogenizing the whole experience. If it's the same all the time, it doesn't really have impact anymore, right? I mean, then to go down the technical side, I mean, when we, when we, I shouldn't even go there. I'm, I, I'm among giants. I'm not going to talk about mixing. <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll so, say this. When I, working on Smart SPL, I started mixing with the, the timeline plot. In my, in my view as a mixer. And it started off at first just so I could generate data to test the software, but I very quickly realized, no, this is an amazing mixing tool mm-hmm. because looking at a number on a screen tells you one thing, but looking at that trend over 10 minutes, 15, whatever it is, wow. I mean, I, I will never go back to mixing without that visually because you really become very, very aware of how you're sculpting the, the contour of the show. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at the set list going, okay, the big hits coming up in two songs. So I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring it down. So when I jump back to this level, it's going to really hit. And, and it's something Absolutely. that I really encourage people to try having that SPL context. And it, it has definitely been a game changer for me. As long, as long as you don't take it the wrong direction too, and try to target a loudness and then, right. which is what we do in broadcast, you know, like trying to achieve minus 24 for the, for the length of your show. And you actually find yourself taking out all the dynamics. Mm-hmm because you're trying to target this one thing and this is happening on records as well uh, with streaming services and all that. We, we just, uh, the, the tools are, it's great to have the meters, but don't let the meter tell you what to do as well. Well, that, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's sort of the micro of the smart conversation as a whole, you know, right. Um, right. smart doesn't tell you actually how to, what to do. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and it's, it's like a voltmeter. You, you yeah. plug it into the wall. It doesn't tell you what to do with that information. You yeah. know, is, is 98 okay in the wall? I don't know. Is it? You know, we know no, but it doesn't tell you that no, that's not good. Right. You know, so. No, it, it, 
as an operator, whether it's system engineer or mixing or whatever I'm doing, I, I want as much context and as much information as I can possibly get. And my philosophy is the more information I have, the better decision I'm going to make. But it's my decision to make, right? Um, and that that's sort of where I'm at. And, and I think a nice place to really tie this off, this whole conversation, uh, Victor Wooten has a book called The Music Lesson. Oh, it's such a good book, fantastic man. Fantastic book. And uh, oh, he, he talks about the four rooms of knowledge, right? And, mm -hmm. and you start off and it's that the first room of knowledge is you don't know what you don't know. And he uses the metaphor of the little kid playing air guitar. And he has no idea what's so complicated about anything about music theory or playing guitar and how many hours of practice. He just, he's just having a blast. He has no idea. And then, and then you start to learn a little bit and then you realize how much there is to it. And he says, so now you know what you don't know. And so you're in the second room of knowledge and then you study and you work hard and you practice. And then eventually you become, uh, you know, uh, well-versed in the topic or an expert in the subject matter or accomplished. And now you know what you know, and you, you have a good command of your knowledge. And he says, but the fourth room of knowledge is when you get back to that state where it's all in the back of your mind, it's no longer in your conscious forefront and you don't know what you know, and it becomes right. just a subconscious tool set. And I think that's the goal where we want to get in terms of, you know, uh, being able to operate your console fluently, being able to use all these technical tricks, tricks in a mix. It all has to, go back to let me master this stuff to such a degree that I don't have to think about it and I can get back to focusing on that immediate moment of passion that started this whole thing off the kid with the air guitar let's get back there but let's do it with this foundation of knowledge behind us so there there's my soapbox for the evening you knew there was one coming <laughs> yeah um, you know that that kind of brings me back to the thing I say all the time is that you know a console is like a guitar if you have to think about how to play the guitar every time you want to play a song you're going to be a terrible musician you're going to play a terrible song so if you learn your instrument, which in this context of what we're speaking about now is a console, mm -hmm. then you don't have to think about how to do it. You just do it. And then it suddenly becomes artistic and creative as opposed to this weird technical challenge. Yeah. And it, it you know, lines up with that book. Yeah. No, and that's, uh, this is, I don't want to go to a rabbit show because I know we're already, you know, maybe running a little later. Or a little, it's my what, bedtime, Chris. It's my <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> no, but like, I think Ryan, actually last time we, we, we talked with you, uh, one of the things we talked about is like that. What's that's what makes um, teaching mixing so hard, right? Is yeah, that, like because just like playing an instrument, you get to a point of where like you're not necessarily thinking about it. your fingers are just moving, you're grabbing knobs because you're making decisions. Just the same way you're driving, right? You don't mm -hmm. think about when you're turning a turn signal. You don't think about when you're you know um, you know changing lanes and stuff. You know, it's just you're just doing it, right? And so that uh, but. It, it coupled coupled with knowing the piece of gear you're on marries that up so much more of making that so effortless of being able to just, you know, that art and craft that you created knowing, and then marrying that with knowing the, the tool that you're using. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Definitely. There it is. Well, I think that's a, I think that's a great, great place to, <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate y'all for hanging out. Everybody's yeah. watching. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, Ryan, we'll... Eric, Hannah, thank you very much. I was a Thanks. Having you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good to chat. Take care, guys. See you. Bye, everybody. Cheers.